Um, we're going to continue our series about Jesus. This microphone is just not cooperating with me. We're going to continue our series about Jesus. And we've been talking about some of the kind of dichotomies that Jesus holds within himself. He's got some paradoxes, right? Last week we talked about how he's fully God and fully man. This week, yeah, maybe if I take my hair down, it'll like hold the microphone in place. Let's try anything, anything to preach the gospel this morning. Um, Today we're going to talk about how Jesus is an obedient leader. Um, He's both a leader and he himself submits to the leadership of the Father We've got a lot of scripture to get through. Um, our main passage is going to be from Matthew 26, but we've got to do a lot of things before we get there. Um, I want to start us off just in prayer, so if you would join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence. God, we thank you for this morning, this beautiful day, for the chance to be together and to turn our attention to you, all of us together. Lord, I am so blessed to be able to have friends to um, experience you with and to go with on this journey of knowing you and following you. Lord, I ask that you would draw us forward, that you would reveal yourself to us, and that you would touch our hearts and heal us. God, I don't know where everybody's been this week. I don't know what everyone's going through, what our emotional states are, but I know that you do. You know all of the patterns and the habits in our lives. You know the major events that have just taken place or the, just the parts in our lives that are hurting or are tired or are full of faith and ready to meet you. And God, I just ask that you would meet each of us where we are and that you would speak to each of us personally. And we ask for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was um, reading through a bunch of the Gospels this week, trying to pick, like, the best sermon, you know, because it's like there's lots of Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, like, a bunch of times. So which one should we preach about? These are very important choices you must make when you're preaching. And um, I just got to reading, like, a whole lot of stuff that Jesus says, especially near the end of his um, life. And... uh, Jesus really like zigs and zags, you know? I just, I just found myself so uh, compassionate for the people who are following him and for the people that he challenges. I just think like, man, to be around Jesus is like, I feel like I'm walking down a path and he's just like all over the place, you know? Like when I expect him to um, drop the hammer on sinners, he's so gracious and kind. And then when he's around the religious people who are... You know, I hate to identify with the Pharisees, but like that hall monitoring, like is that a gene? Like I think I'm a genetic hall monitor. And so I can like, I hear these Pharisees, they're like following all these rules and kind of getting all puffed up about it. And Jesus, Jesus could have like made friends with them and, and like worked with them to, to uh, you know, build a platform to have more influence on more people. You know, I feel like I see a lot of these like leadership t- tricks and tips and One of them is like networking, like, why is Jesus not networking with the Pharisees? They have so many resources, you know? But um but he's not going to like the little the little uh, talks and events and he's not carrying his cart around and he's not like hitching his star to their wagons or however those sayings go. Instead he like calls them out, you know, and just like slashes them to the ground. 
let's start with one of those passages, in fact. I feel like there's a good, here's a good, like, shocker. So because so many of us have heard these stories before, it's hard for this to be new and fresh. But I want you to think for a moment of, like, who do you admire and esteem in society today? Like, who are some, like, very respectable people who sort of know what's going on? And then imagine Jesus walking in amongst them and saying to them what he says to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, at least you know, among the Jewish people, maybe the Romans didn't think too much of the Pharisees, but they subjugated the Israelites. But to the Pharisees, to like our audience, they would have been like, these are like the, the good guys. They're like the in-charge guys. They know what's going on. They're righteous and holy, and like they're really into doing the right thing, you know, and trying to like live life well. Like they're the best example before Jesus of like people who are really engaged with the Bible and they're following all the rules and checking all the boxes and doing all that stuff. So think of who you know that's like that. Who's like doing it? Like, is this like social media influencers? Or do you like your celebrities? Like, maybe I'm dating myself here, but I always go back to Oprah, you know? Powerhouse. Oprah's got a powerhouse. So Jesus goes to see Oprah, and here's what happens. Sorry, Oprah. And here's, here's what happens in uh, Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds, and to his disciple, about the Pharisees who were like there, you know. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Big deal, Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. Do you hear Jesus' kind of like, mm, attitude here? But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their hard word, which is a little box that has scripture in it that they wear on their foreheads, wide, and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servants. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you're around Oprah, or like Bill and Melinda Gates, or choose any politician, and somebody says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted, this isn't like a nice, friendly message for a networking event. And what I think is true about Jesus, and it all depends on our perspective, is I think Jesus is actually the one. We see in Scripture time and again, Jesus is the one who's on this straight path. And we're the ones who are all over the place, right? And he does these unexpected things because he's not all over the place with us. We're being tossed around by culture. The standards are always changing. What's cool? What's hot? I mean... Like, any children of the 90s who are amazed that crop tops came back, like, that's a cool thing again. I, I, scrunchies are back in, I, that's amazing. I, I, okay. And, um, but, but Jesus, he, he's just, like, going in the straight line, straight for the Father. And the rest of us get surprised every time we wander off 
And Jesus says something like what he said about the Pharisees here, and it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I thought these were the, I thought I was, I thought I was supposed to be doing with these, but we weren't, okay, but they're, so they're just doing it for people to see, and I've got to get back on track here. I think um, this passage then goes on, and, and I'm not going to read it all, but Jesus keeps saying, woe to you, the teachers and the Pharisees. Like nine times, he's like, woe to you. Like, this, it always makes me think of Shakespeare, like a plague on your houses, death is coming. Woe to you, Pharisees. And he just like goes through the list of all these things that they do wrong. And it's not my favorite part of the Bible, just because the things that they do wrong are things I don't identify with very much. Like the things that they do wrong are so like tithing on spices and like it's good to tithe on spices, but don't ignore the rest. Like I get tithing, but like I've never like brought spice into the church, you know? So like you kind of like got to do the cultural like understanding of like what's Jesus talking about and then what's the principle behind that? How does that apply to me? Because I don't have this exact same experience in my life. But I think like what really is going on here is Jesus is saying, you're being obedient to the wrong things. Jesus is obedient, but he's like really radically obedient to the Father and in all of the other voices that are calling him to obedience to themselves, Jesus just blows all of them off. He just doesn't care at all. So who's calling us to obedience today? I feel like I'm aware of lots of voices calling me to obedience. Um, beauty standards call us to obedience, right, ladies? Like, there are a lot of magazines that will say, ah, this is the makeup that you must wear, and this is the shape that your body must be, and here are the ways to do those things. Just eat a salad and cry you know, and work out for 17 hours, and, um, and that is, and then you will have a good life. Our careers can call us to obedience, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't work diligently and work as unto the Lord. We absolutely should, but um, I think success and acclaim in a professional sense is uh, like a siren call, right? Like, come be obedient to this. Let's sacrifice the other things. Just work on Saturday. That's fine. Work on Sunday. God doesn't you know, God's Sabbath thing is like this thing, but you might get a raise or you might get a promotion. Money can certainly call us to obedience. You know, put this at the center of your life and study it and think about it and make all the right decisions. Invest well, get those tax shelters. I don't know, maybe, or buy the fancy car or buy the fancy house or you, know, you can tell how it calls to me, tax shelters. And, um, <laughs> and like we have all of these voices, you know, influencers, you know, travel, that's the thing to do. Or... Um, you know, have a completely white kitchen, which I confess I sort of want one. Like we have all of these, all of these invitations into obedience from so many different places. But Jesus is radically countercultural when it comes to obedience. He's just as obedient to God, and in order to be obedient to God, is disobedient in all these other ways. He's like very much a nonconformist. So a little story time. Way back when my youngest son Ender was 16 days old, he got a fever. And if you've ever been around a 16-day-year-old who's gotten sick or like a baby, like in that first month especially, um, it can get really scary. Because an interesting thing about babies is um, their immune systems aren't very well developed. Have, when was the last time like you've thought to yourself, like, oh, good job, immune system. Look at all of the different symptoms you can give me to tell me exactly what's wrong. Like, my immune system can give me a sniffly nose, or my immune system can, like, make my legs swell up around a cut or a bug bite, or my immune system can definitely do the fever thing. It's good at that. And, coughs and aches and pains and my immune system has lots of tools in the toolbox because like I'm a grown-up but baby immune systems it's like it's got fever and nothing else it just hasn't learned to talk the same way that your baby hasn't learned to talk like goo goo ga ga doesn't know any words and so when a tiny tiny baby gets a fever 
you don't know what's wrong because your baby can't tell you and your baby's immune system can't tell you. So you don't know if like my baby got a cold or if like my baby has meningitis and is gonna die soon. Like you just don't know which one it is and there's no way to tell from like a normal checkup or anything that you can possibly do at home. So we went to the hospital and um, in order to determine whether or not Ender had meningitis, they had to do a spinal tap on a, like a tiny, teeny, tiny baby, which is really stressful. And so um, they talk about it and they explain to us what's going on and they just told me everything I told you about immune systems. And um, <laughs> I've never loved sniffly noses like so much since like that conversation. And, um, uh, and they said, we have to do a spinal tap and this is what's gonna be involved. So spinal tap is weird because it's like they have to, um, I don't wanna get too graphic, but I guess I will. They like have to make a little incision so that the spinal fluid can like drip out of the baby into the thing and then they take it and they test it. So like they, it's not like a big needle that like extracts stuff. There's like a dripping that needs to happen. It's horrible. So a doctor and a nurse come in and they have like all this gear on, which is strangely feels nostalgic now because with pandemic, everybody's got all the gear on, but they have all this gear on, which was terrifying at the time because the only time I'd ever seen anybody and like so many gloves and things was like, you know, on, in the movies. And, um, and they said we have to make a totally sterile environment for the spinal tap because to open up the, the, to make this incision, like if anything gets introduced here in this very important place, is so vulnerable to corruption. Like we're so vulnerable to a bacterial infection. Like we need this to be completely clean because as we do this thing right here, we need this space to be completely sterile. We can't introduce anything else here. Otherwise it could cause an even worse problem than what we're trying to find out and solve. So long story short, they did the spinal tap, everything was fine. It actually went easier because he was a baby, because he was so small. They said, oh, this was kind of easy. And, um, and he was well hydrated, good mom points. And um, he uh, did not have meningitis, and we did lots of antibiotics for a couple days while we waited for the culture to culture. And then we went home and we lived happily ever after, and everything was fine. Um, the reason why this story comes to mind in this place is, as I was praying about this, I just felt like, Jesus just took me back there and said, this, this sterile area that you needed to be able to get this, to do this procedure, this sterile area, this is what obedience is like. We're created to be obedient. We're created to worship. We're a creation that was made by a creator who wants to have a relationship with us. And so everything about us is, we're just like a, the kind of species that can really adore and worship and be obedient and focus and orient our lives around a person or thing. And we're designed to orient our lives around God. Like he put it in us for us to be able to respond to him, his goodness and the call that he puts on our life to holy living so that we can be a blessing to each other, that we can bless the earth and care for it the way that he would, that we can bear his image. We talked about that last week. And I felt like Jesus just said, if anything else gets introduced to this, if being obedient, if anything else comes in here and says, be obedient to me, then everything starts to fall apart. We have to keep this space. Sometimes if, maybe if you went to a more charismatic church in the 90s like I did, the throne of your heart. Do you remember anybody talking about the throne of your heart? God will thank you. God alone is on the throne of our heart. And when we put anything else in this place, then everything gets messed up. The Pharisees put the rules on the throne of their heart. And in some ways they put themselves on the throne of their heart, right? They're doing all this stuff for other people to see, for other people to realize they're not doing it for Jesus, for God, the Father. Let's read on. The, um, 
The disciples then go on to forget all about this, like almost immediately. So let's go to Luke 22, verses 24 to 30. So the disciples um, are figuring out, like, like they're, they're not resisting the urge to put themselves on the throne of their hearts. They're not resisting the urge to be obedient to their own selves. So they see Jesus take down the Pharisees, and don't you think in there, they're kind of like, yeah, Jesus, you know? And then they get to Passover dinner, and they're, they're like eating this, like, meal that is a remembrance holy holiday of the Passover when the Lord delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians thousands of years prior. And this is what happens from these lugheads. A dispute arose among them, the disciples, to which, to, as to which one of them was considered to be the greatest. And I just feel like Admiral Akbar from Star Wars is like, it's a trap. <laughs> like, you guys, Jesus said to them, the king, he, Jesus is gentler with the disciples, so that's nice. He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, with a capital B. But you are not to be like that. He's just repeating, not you, though. Don't you be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, Jesus is talking here about, he gives us like a little glimpse, like way into the future, right? He says, this is what it's like here. The greatest is least. The greatest among you should be like the youngest among you. And then the things that are happening to me, the Father giving me a kingdom, this will be the same for you. And you will have a a place of significance. All these things that you're you're desiring, that's not a bad thing, but we're going to have them within the kingdom of God. We're going to have them under the authority of God. Like, this isn't something for you to go and hanker after yourselves. Like, this is a part of God's plan, and we're playing our part in the story. The disciples, just the way this argument over who's greatest, and this isn't the first time they've had this argument, and, you know, there's, like, the brothers and their mom is, like, pushing them to, like, ask Jesus if you can, you know, have a special spot in heaven and stuff. And, oh, I just so, I so get that woman. <laughs> but I think about my kids and, like, oh, I want you to have all the best stuff. But the disciples, they're, they're still doing this thing. They're putting themselves in this place. They're being obedient to themselves. And I actually think this is like a genetic part of the human condition. The, uh, the psychologist would tell, t- tell us that there is a, we all have in common as human beings a motivational triad, which is to avoid pain and to seek pleasure and to conserve energy. And this is something we all want to do. Actually, all animals want to do that. And like we're animals too. So our animal bodies want to survive. And the best way to survive is to don't get hurt because that might get you sick or injured and you'll die. And to do things that feel good because things that feel good are are usually good for your health, right? So like eating is a good thing. If you took no pleasure in eating and you didn't eat anything, you would eventually die. Um, Also procreation, that feels good. And this perpetuates the species. Um, And then energy conservation, like let's rest. So, like, relax, like, don't spend your energy unnecessarily because you might not have enough energy to make it when, you know, like, the the plants start growing in the spring to eat again and you can go hunt a deer or something. So it's something that we all have in common. So when you braid these things together, all of these things that bring us pleasure, the pain that we're trying to avoid, all of that, 
When you braid them together, I think as we talk in terms of like a little more complexity than just the animal kingdom, but for human beings, what we're really talking about here is status. If I have the ability to get all the fanciest food, if I have the ability to attract a very handsome man, which I have, and uh, look at my status, and if I have the ability for lots of leisure time that allows me to decorate things, that allows me to um, you know, pursue education kind of things or like lots of hobbies and interests, if I've got the resources to travel and to provide for my children and do all of these things for them, then I have high status. And I think it's just a part of the human condition that we seek out that status. And so this, like, who's going to be the greatest among us? This is these guys, these disciples, kind of just responding to the way that their bodies are made. Like, we're just trying to get all these boxes checked because that's how our bodies are designed and we're being obedient to our own bodies, to ourselves. And Jesus rejects status-seeking full stop. He just says, no, don't you be like that. Then, just a little bit later, um, in John 13, we see Jesus do um, an incredible act of rejecting status that means even more probably to the people of his time than to us, because we don't do a lot of foot washing, and um, some of us have very beautiful feet that are encased in socks and perfumed and wouldn't be gross at all, but um, disciples' feet are really gross. And so in John 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus does this, and am I, oh, there it is, okay. So it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew what hour had come for him to leave this world, uh, knew, sorry, that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Hmm, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the Simon, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. I think it's so interesting to sow there. So Jesus knows his place with the Father. He knows where his value and his worth comes from. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then in the next couple of verses, Jesus and Peter have to have an argument because Peter always has to have an argument where Peter says, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, I have to wash your feet. And Peter's like, okay, then wash all of me. And Jesus is like, your feet are enough. And then um, if we jump way ahead to uh, verse 12, when he, Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So Jesus says, not only should you not argue about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, the least shall be great and the great shall be least, and I want you to divest yourself of the status that you have, and I want you to take on having a lower status. And we can understand this, like way after the fact, getting, like seeing the whole story, we can really understand just how much Jesus gave up his status as God, and Josh talked about this a lot last week, Jesus fully man and fully God, and became a human and had needs and had struggles. I thought it was a great sermon. If you haven't heard it, get online and listen to it. But Jesus just rejects all of this status seeking, and he calls the disciples to follow him in this like 
stat into this statusless place, into this low status place. A little bit later in John 14, they have this very interesting conversation. Thomas really represents the questions. I'm so glad he like gets in there and asks these questions. Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, I just love this, so practical. He's so practical. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Like Captain Obvious questions. And we need him to ask them, right? So Jesus says the following. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. Recent pop culture maybe has me thinking of The Mandalorian right now, that new Star Wars show. I guess it's not new, it's two years old on Disney+. Plus. The Mandalorians are part of like a cult, but it's like a cool cult. Like they don't take off their helmets, which is weird, but also they like save little orphan children, which is very cool. So if you have to choose a cult, I think that's a good, that's a good brand. Um, and uh, I mean, like, let's try to avoid it, but like if the dice are down and you have to pick one, that's a good one. And, um, and the thing is that it's just super cool because throughout the whole thing, the Mandalorian, like the Mandalorian and all the other Mandalorians are saying to each other, like, this is the way, this is the way. And like, oh, I have to save this child and all these other Mandalorians will have to fight and maybe get injured and died. And they're like, this is the way. And they strengthen themselves. And it's just mega cool. It's just really cool. Like, thank you, Star Wars, for getting so cool. I think it's super cool. But the thing is, is that the way, as followers of Jesus, what we know is the way is not a this. It's a who. The way is Jesus. Every moment of his life is this example of how to not seek status, how to be obedient to the Father only, how not to get pushed and prodded by our culture into doing selfish things, how not to let our own bodies dictate that we do selfish things, but to set all of that aside and to do the will of the Father. This is what Jesus does. And so all of these things bring us to Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, and you probably know the story. Jesus goes, uh, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I think it's just so, we can just read through these words, and I have a lot of times. And just like, I know this part of the story, and I know, you know what I mean? But like, Jesus is sad. Obedience to the Father is costing him, and it's causing him pain. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And just like, can you hear the hurt in his voice? Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Even now Jesus is concerned for them. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, 
if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. Sounds like Jesus got an answer. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In John's version of this story, we see an angel comes to strengthen Jesus while he's praying, and that he prays so hard that he sweats blood. So we live in a broken world, and that means that there's a lot of pain here. And sometimes I experience pain because I've made a mistake. Just this week, I had like hard things at work to do because I kind of slacked off a little earlier this summer, and I just had to work a lot. Um, and, uh, and maybe Josh made a mistake too, which I had to take a drive and rescue him because the keys were locked in the car. And Anyway, when we have pain because of our mistakes or our mistakes of the ones that we love, you know your kids cost you all the time, right? Like you made a mistake and now we have to vacuum the whole room again or whatever. Like that kind of seems just and that kind of makes sense. And here's the real problem with that is I make a mistake and I experience pain. So then I think, If I don't make a mistake, then I won't experience pain, right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Like, isn't that just so logical? Like, if this, then this. If not this, then not this. But we see Jesus, who's never made a mistake in his whole life, and this obedience, this act of obedience is causing him pain. The nature of the world that we live in is one in which if you make mistakes, it will hurt. And if you don't make mistakes, it will hurt. And I'm sorry, that's such a downer, but that's what we see in Jesus' example. This obedience doesn't guarantee success. This obedience didn't bring his status. This obedience didn't feel good. He didn't get to avoid pain and seek pleasure and conserve energy. He's staying up all through the night, praying and praying, and the next day he dies on a cross. And that's just the situation, like this is the state of the world, because if you go all the way back to Genesis, Adam and Eve made a choice, and that locked us into a new way of existing. And God made a plan and has been working it out over thousands of years to get things back to the way that they should be, because he's really, I think, unsatisfied with the fact that obedience to him causes us pain. That like wasn't in the blueprints for the Garden of Eden. But here we see Jesus going through this obedient and this, this obedience and this pain. And the good news about it is that when we bring our pain to God and when we press in and say, this isn't how I want things to be. I just want to spend all of my money on myself. I just want to, you know, connect with whoever I want to connect with, be in whatever relationship, romantic or sexual, that I want to. I just want my way right now. I don't want to be patient I don't want to be nice. I don't want to take the back seat when somebody else takes credit for my work. I don't like it when people say women can't preach. I don't like it when people say all lives matter as if they're ignoring the whole context of the country that we live in. All of these things hurt. But when we take these hurts to the cross of Christ, he does two important things. And one of them is he says, I know, I get it. 
I hear you, and I've been through this, and I've gone through this pain myself. And the other thing that he does is he changes us, and he changes the world through our obedience. Josh talked about this, uh, looked at this passage last week, and we'll just look at it again because it's so powerful. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is our leader. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus makes it all right in the end. I don't know what kind of week you had. Maybe you had like a bouncy, happy week and you came into kind of like a dark sermon of like, Jesus is obedient and look how much that hurt him. But this is the kind of leadership that we have from Jesus is even if you didn't have a bouncy week and things were tough this week for you or this month or this year or like the last two and a half, a year and a half with the pandemic or much longer than that because of all of the different circumstances that happened to us in our broken world, Jesus didn't shy away from setting the world's rights, and he's on a path to redeem the world, and he calls us to join him in that path. And so I just want to encourage us as we experience that pain that we have a leader who can use that to transform everything about our lives and the lives of the people that we love. So would you stand? We're going to have a time of prayer ministry. Um, Worship leaders are going to come up and another song and if you'd like prayer if you're struggling with obedience um, if God is talking to your heart and I believe that he is um, and there's something that you'd say this is hurting and I'm really struggling with why that has to be I don't like it and I don't want it to be that way and I need help um, I think this prayer invitation is for you if you want to dig in deeper in more obedience to Jesus because you think he's calling you you sense that he's calling you to like a new way of being obedient maybe in a part of your life that has been a struggle for a long time, I think this might be the day that you remember forever because that's the kind of day that God can give us anytime he wants. So we'll, uh, we'll pray really fast and then we'll sing a lot and please come up and get prayer if God is talking to you. He gave us the ability to respond. He designed us to respond and that's where the real connection is. So Lord, would you be with us